Hello and welcome to the CDO Magazine interview series. I'm Lana Fan, co-founder and CEO of Human AI, a generative AI platform for life sciences. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Andrea Pozzetta, who is the Chief Data Officer at Epson. Welcome. Thank you so much, Lana. It's great to be here. You have these, you know, life sciences companies, right, who are really knowing that, you know, generative AI is going to bring transform, trans, transformation, transformative change. You have the big tech companies like the Microsoft and AWS, right, the, uh, providing kind of tech tools. You also have kind, kind of have the startups, right, who are doing some of these cases really stay ahead. And how do you see kind of, um, you know, you have the global pharma, right? You have a really kind of leading, very forward thinking biotech companies like Ipsen, right? How do you see, I know like when I talk with like, for example, um, Anders from like Novo, it might be a different strategy than Ipsen, right? So how do you see this kind of build versus buy and hybrid and, 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 and the how question? Yeah, in my opinion, every company is different. Um, and I think, you know, the, the size of the organization definitely impacts, um, you know, what we can and we can't do easily. So I think we have to have kind of, you know, a mixed model looking at where we can buy, where we can build, um, be the most impactful in our disease areas that we cover, um, you know, again, in my opinion, and bring the, you know, the right drugs to the market for our patients as best as we can, as quickly as we can. So I look at a you know, a model of looking at buy and look, looking at build. Um, but typically, you know, smaller organizations tend to buy versus build because it's simpler to, to put things into, um, you know, into effect. Okay, so now I'm going to ask a kind of extension to this question, right? So if you're saying smaller companies tend to buy more that, rather than build, like what are you looking for, right? As a CDO to from a startup, right? Because it's going to be a lot of like entrepreneurs and, and people making solutions to the life science are going to be listening to this podcast. What advice do you give them to the startups? Yeah, but I think it's great to get on the Gen AI wave. I think that we have to, as an industry, in my my opinion, really make sure we're putting the patient first. You know, privacy is a major concern, making sure that we're not exposing improper data, making sure that there's no, you know, black box um, that we're looking at if we look at a buy option. Um, you know, make sure that we put um, integrity first, right? We know what we're doing with our data. We know the data going in. We're ensuring that the data is protected. You know, if we're if we're talking about patient data as an example, and we're ensuring we're doing the right thing for our patients. So I think a mixed model works well. Um, I just see bigger companies having you know bigger teams, for example, and being able to kind of build in house. Um, I'd like to see a mixed model at, at every organization because it really gives the employees within a company an opportunity. You know, the right employees, data scientists. The ability to innovate within and grow that skill set internally. That's great. That's great. So um, you mentioned um, on the kind of the use cases, right? You said there are use cases across the entire continuum. So kind of look at the use cases and business value and then timeline, right? I think every company now is like getting pressure from the CEO or the board and say, you know, what are our use cases for Gen AI? Which one are going to bring us value within the six, 12 months, right? It's a tall order. So in your opinion, right, those which use cases across that continuum you see personally would kind of bring that, you know, more immediate business value for us. Yeah, I mean, clinical trials in the space, right? We know that in general, 
right, as, as an industry thing, that diversity uh, and health equity is a challenge. So I would love to see Gen AI helping with that to get more unbiased trials, to get more unbiased data, so we can really meet needs across all of our patients, right? They're all of the patients in, impacted by a disease. So I think that's a tremendous opportunity. Um, protocol design, right? We could speed that up. Drug discovery. If you think of the massive amounts of data that we have, it's a bit disparate if we think of the US, but we have a lot of it. And we can potentially leverage that to discover uh, new drugs or discover new indications. Again, the, the fact of being able to leverage lots of data with great tech, I think they go hand in hand. Um, and, you know, looking at manufacturing, I think that, uh, you know, golden batch are really ensuring that we get to a standard level with our batch um, processes and helping that along with Gen AI, I think is really important for the industry. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned this golden batch um, use case, right? Well, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm personally like, you know, reading use cases, right? Seeing, sharing people's success. It seems like there are some really tangible success already in manufacturing using generative AI. Yes, yes. And I think, you know, in general, you have to lay out the value. What is going to bring the biggest value to the organization and patients? And try a couple of those use cases. We can't do everything, you know, as... As an industry, it'd be great to just, you know, go down the line and apply Gen AI across the board. We're just not there yet. You know, we have to really um, test out different solutions, see what's most beneficial for patients, and then really start to utilize those uh, within organizations. That's great. That's great. I'm going to move on to responsible AI. I think it's every CDO's <laughs> favorite topic, right? So how do we see, like, you know, um, Gen AI adopted, right, for our industry? Like, where do you see the biggest challenges are? I think that, you know, clean data, right? It, it's, if I go back 25 years, right, it was always garbage in, garbage out, right? If we have, if we don't have clean data, we will not have um, clean inputs for our models. And then we get biases coming out of those. So my biggest thing I'd love to see is, um, you know, even leveraging AI to clean data to look for anomalies, right? So we know that our data is clean and we, we can trust in the data we're working with. Um, I think when I look at, um, you know, potential challenges, it's privacy and security. And I, I wanna make sure that, you know, we're ensuring that the guardrails are in place. And I think companies across the board really need to lay out that framework. What does it look like? What does good look like with Gen AI? Where, where do we start to experiment and where do we see that value and how does the value tie back directly to, you know, delivering better drugs and, and products to our patients? So um, I'd love to kind of drill down a little deeper, right, on some of the kind of common perceived risks for generative AI, like, um, for example, privacy and security, right? Hallucinations, like hallucinations, everyone love to talk about, right? There's sort of the black box AI conception. So can you kind of elaborate on some of these um, points individually? Yeah, certainly. And, and hallucinations is, um, it's a great term for it. I, I really, I like that, right? So um, I'll start there. I, you know, we have to make sure that we have clean data. And I read something recently about letting AI rest, right? Letting oh, it rest. what a great concept. Yes. <laughs> so letting it rest. So we have less hallucinations. I think always being, you know, uh, on the forefront of making sure our training data is clean, accurate, unbiased, 
I mean, there's a lot to do in this space, um, but we need to limit hallucinations. And I, I like that article that I read about uh, letting AI rest. Um, you know, when I think of privacy and security, right, there's several examples of corporate data getting exposed to public because mm -hmm. people are using public tools. So again, I go back to the governance model. We have to have guide rails in place. You know, I think all companies are looking at this now. What are, what are the rules of engagement? Where do we innovate and how do we stay within the guardrails so we don't, you know, we're not in a, in a headline because that would be awful. So again, focusing on what we can do best for our patients, where that value comes back to the organization. I think it's really, really important that we, involve our, you know, our CISOs and our, our CEOs and um, our DPOs in the organization and every organization to really ensure that we are tackling this as a team to make sure we have the right uh, rules in place. And then I look at, um, you know, lack of transparency. A lot of companies coming out, the space is growing. It has been growing for a couple of years. Um, now it's really, really hot. So making sure that the companies we're working with there isn't a black box that we fully understand, you know, as much as we can behind the models, what they're doing, um, how they're going to benefit us, and that we're really partnering along the way. And I think collectively as an organ as a as a, the life science field, right, we could all collaborate more to find out where the best opportunities are to bring the most value back to our organizations, back to our patients. I love you bring up the collaboration piece, right? Like pharma is so siloed. Yes. <laughs> Everyone is a competitor because <laughs> the TAs and these indications are so fluid, right? Particularly yes. if some of the big guys is like, you know, um, if we can get the industry together to collaborate, that would be a huge win. Huge, yes. So it's going to be a forward-looking question. So in your opinion, right, looking, you know, five, 10 years um, into the future, where do you see, like, when you think of the timeline, we're going to see really tangible business values realized and, you know, Gen AI solutions become like standard practice and when and, and how, maybe. Yeah, I would love to see the trial space really grow, right? The use of, um, of data to really better understand how a drug is going to affect a specific disease, getting our, us closer to precision medicine, um, really leveraging uh, you know, real world data, longitudinal real world data to really test um, the efficacy of different drugs, genomic data to really understand which disease are under, um, diseases are underrepresented, where we can start to make an impact, how we can get more patients in trials. So I think today it's, it's a very slim area and it's very biased. I think every pharma company today would like to see that happen. Um, but I think this, you know, the fact that we could potentially, uh, you know, test drugs on on computer models versus patients and speed up the whole process to better understand efficacy, um, how the patient's going to fare with comorbid conditions and things like that. I think it's a huge, huge opportunity, again, to bring drugs uh, to patients faster. And another thing could be the uh, lower the barrier to entry, right? What yes. only 5% of the patient population enroll in clinical trials? That's, yes. a, that's a huge opportunity missed. It is. It's a huge opportunity. And then the biases within that, yeah. it's um, even more concerning. So my hope is that we, we tackle this as an industry. Thank you so much for such an insightful conversation. And um, I'd like to thank you today for joining us. And please visit cdomagazine.tech 
for additional interviews. And also I'm going to check up on all the references you mentioned <laughs> and podcast. Thank great. you so much, Andrea. Thank you so much, Lana. It was great speaking with you. Likewise.